Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School and the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. We do not play Purple Rain. I know, I know, you're right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. We want to welcome you uh, to Vox. This is Seth. Hi. And that's Justina, my wife. Nate is not here. That is correct. Pink, yellow, and red lights. Correct. This is my son, Seth, who uh, is demonstrating why it is that we have a children's ministry. And... uh, All right, so uh, a couple of things. First of all, you've shown up to a church. Uh, Just in case you were wondering, um, Vox stands for voice. It's Latin for voice. And um, we're we're big fans of people who are in process. And so, uh, and and we also believe the voice of Jesus into the world is more important than ever. Uh, We're built on three convictions. We talk about these all the time. One, the church is to be the place where it's, uh, it's supposed to be the safest place to talk about and process through anything. Secondly, the church is to be the place where the next generation gets specifically and intentionally invested in. And thirdly, the church, the posture of the church to the world is one of service and love, uh, one of sitting in judgment of it. And so we embody these, uh, it, these convictions in the way that we actually do our service. We're going to start with some Q&A. Valerie's going to share a bit of her story. Um, And we've got, for the first time ever, we actually have announcements. I know, it's never happened before because we don't do much. Uh, So just just be ready, all right? If you're new, uh, the website you need to know is uh, voxoc.com. That will tell you more about us. uh, And we'll give you the following information first. This Wednesday, we're having something called a New to Vox dinner over at our house. Seth Erie will be there. Uh, we feed you. We talk uh, a bit about what we're trying to do and why we started this whole thing. Uh, it's over at our place, but I, I think there's a limit on how many people can come at once. So if you go to voxoc.com, you can sign up for that. That's this Wednesday. Secondly, uh, mark your calendars for something we're calling Cinco de Marzo right here because May is too far away. So, yep. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, a Mexican fiesta the 5th of March. Out on the front lawn, um, the word is David Robles is going to dress up as a piñata. And uh, we're hoping f- uh, food, games, and hangout. Can you, get any, can, you, can you get any more compelling than that, ladies and gentlemen? You cannot. Bounce houses for the kids. Uh, but uh, that's weather permitting, of course. Goodbye, Mama. I love you. Goodbye, Seth Erie. Love you, too. I love you too. I know. He's trying to get to the drums. That's, that's what he's angling for, ladies and gentlemen. He's got his eye on the drums. Now, so mark your calendars. The third thing uh, that I need to let you know about is that we are starting something called Table Fellowships. We announced this last week. Um, this, uh, this is the like, big reason you need to go uh, to the website Table fellowships are not small groups, they're not Bible studies, they're literally uh, groups of people who get together over meals. And it, it's, that, it's that simple. The reason we call it table fellowship is because this is one of the most distinctive things about the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus ate and shared meals with people that uh, weren't like him. And in fact, he got, he, he got pinged pretty hard uh, and criticized because of the scandalous people that he would eat with. So uh, we went over this last week. Table fellowship for us 
is the central image that we build our church on. And so we celebrate it. Uh, it's, the Eucharist uh, is a, a beautiful symbol of Jesus' sacrifice and invitation. We extend its symbolism in table fellowship as a reminder that Jesus had no hesitation to eat and drink with anyone next. Table fellowship at Vox is expressed three ways. First way, corporately on Sundays where we take the Eucharist every week. That table fellowship, when we all line up and walk up together as people whose, whose primary identifier now is of one uh, that's radically reshaped by Jesus, we take the bread and the cup together. We think that is so unbelievably important in these days. Then the, the table fellowship we're talking about are community tables. Now, community tables are when Vox people open up their homes to other Vox people, all right, and their friends. That's what we're starting in March. March, April, and May, we're going to do these. You can go on our website. We have two in Brea, one in Placentia, one Fullerton, one somewhere else. We have one very specifically for 16 to 26-year-olds. Um, and so uh, make sure you sign up for that one. We're asking that you sign up. We're offering two a month, but we're asking that you would sign up for just one of those two. Uh, just so we have enough room for everybody to, to go through. So, um, and there's, there's utterly no agenda to this. The third thing uh, that we hope for Table Fellowship, is this making sense, by the way? I'm trying to rush through it. So we celebrate it corporately. We want to celebrate it in our community. But ultimately, we want to celebrate it in a way where we open up our own homes and our own tables for people. Next. There's been a video that's been circulating around um, on Facebook. For those of kids, Facebook is this thing your parents use. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever heard of it. Uh, Andy, go ahead and fire up this. this we saw this video. Oh, okay, you want me to do this first. Okay. Nope, we're doing the video. Here we go. Nope, vi video. Enough to love. 
So our table fellowship will be that table fellowships will be that beautiful and that glorious, absolutely. But we saw that and, and we were like, you know what, that, that's a beautiful picture. We, we say, have this kind of cheesy thing we say, we believe kitchen tables can change the world. Our dining room tables can change the world. And this is what we mean. The thing that was so significant is that Jesus ate with people. And so the, the lost art of conversation over food is something we're trying to recapture. So we do that corporately. We're going to launch uh, the community table fellowships. Uh, you can start signing up today, voxoc.com. And, but the goal is that some of you would be so inspired by this that you actually open up your homes or your apartment buildings or your dorms. Um, for the people in your sphere of influence, not just people in the Vox community. So that's happening today. Now, we also take questions. We've been talking about hell a lot, and um, it's Valentine's Day, uh, and so February just seems like a good time to talk about hell. And so uh, we, we, get, we get texted in questions uh, and they get increasingly intense and long, and I'm so behind. I'm so sorry. Let's try to talk about a few of them. Uh, number one, have you ever worn pants other than Mother's Day? You know, not really. I mean, why would you hide these legs? Uh, number two, <laughs> hi, Mom. All right, number three, was that Nate? All right, well. Hi, Mike. Great job. I keep wondering, though, who would play you uh, in an SNL skit? Uh, the Rock, obviously. Um, <laughs> two weeks ago, before the Samaritan sermon, you opened with the statement that you were going to use a plain reading of Scripture. Trigger warning. Please say more about what you mean. Sometimes I've seen this associated with literalism. Thanks. All right, so... Um, uh, a couple of thoughts. Number one, we never want to read the Bible literally. We want to read the Bible literarily. And there is a huge difference. Literarily means that we read the Bible according to the kind of literature it is. So we read historical narrative differently than we read Proverbs. We read um, uh, apocalyptic literature differently than we read prophetic literature, differently than we read parabolic literature, differently than we read discursive literature. All right? So the problem with a lot of Bible reading is you, it, it flattens actually the text. It just, it just goes straight through the Bible and says, what does this mean to me? Without any, any awareness or context uh, of, um, of background, of language, of 2,000 years of history that have gone by, right? And so we, I get what you're saying. I, I, I think I'd use that phrase, the plain reading. I didn't mean to use it because that, the plain reading of Scripture has justified slavery and the oppression of women and all sorts of things. What I was meaning is, when we were talking about immigration, the obvious meaning of so many of the, the texts is that the part of God towards the foreigner and the outcast is so overwhelming that we should be talked away from that. We should start there and be talked away from it rather than start with safety and security and have to be talked into compassion. Next, is someone's acceptance into the new city only determined during their time on earth, is there ever a chance for their lot to be changed? Ooh. I don't know. I don't have the foggiest idea. I mean, on the one hand, you have pictures of the Bible that seem like you die once, then there's judgment. 
and then on the other hand, you have things like every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I haven't the foggiest idea. I, I, I do know this. Based on the character of Jesus, God's heart for people, no one, no one is going to miss out because they didn't know something or they had a bad missionary or they were abused by a pre. I mean, God isn't like that. There isn't some magical line, some magical formula. There's God, any heart that is open to God, God will redeem. I guarantee it. I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know if it's post-mortem, no idea. I hope it is. I think that'd be pretty epic for, for some of the most stubborn people to go, oh, I was wrong, I was wrong. But I, we don't have any biblical basis for that other than the character of Jesus we see revealed in the scriptures. Next. So is hell then created and sustained by our own sins? Oh man, this goes back to last week. So if you're new to our community, we've been talking about the idea of judgment and that it actually turns out to be good news and it's surprising. Uh, yes and no. There, there are hints that, um, that hell was created not for human rebellion, but because of angelic rebellion. So you could say that it was human and angelic rebellion that created hell and sustains its power in the world today. That would be, I think, a fair statement. Next. I'm scared. I think I know God. I think I love him. I think I have a relationship with him, but I'm afraid of being turned away or exiled from him. And he will say, I do not know you. How do I know if I'm going to heaven? I know that there's nothing I can do or can't do, and there's no ticket into heaven, but I'm terrified of hell. Wow. First of all, thank you for being so honest and asking that question. That is huge. Couple of thoughts. This is worthy of a much longer answer. Wouldn't you agree? One thought is this. The fact that you're worried shows that you already have a sensitivity and awareness that's aligned towards the purposes of God, all right? The people who don't care are the people in far greater danger. Would you agree? So the fact that you're actually worried about this is evidence of the fact that, God, that God's doing something. Secondly, God does not want you to live in this fear. So when people say, how do I know I'm saved? I, I always say, well, how, how do you know you're married? How do you know you're married? Well, I have a certificate, okay. I wear a ring, okay. Is that how I know I'm married? No, I know I'm married because every day my life becomes increasingly progressively and more perfectly oriented towards the service and love of another. That she has become my primary allegiance, that she is uh, becoming more important as time goes on. I mean, da 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 da. And I begin to align my life around that relationship as primary. That's how I know I'm married. So too with Jesus. There, you, don't, you don't look at a prayer you prayed back when you were six. You don't look at the baptism you had, although those are incredibly important things. What you look at is, is my life becoming more progressively oriented towards the things of Jesus or not? And if it is, then of course. If it's not, I make no judgment on that other than just to say, it'd probably be good to ask why. It's just helpful. See, this is a really, really important course. Jesus does not want it. That's the accuser's voice. Jesus does not want you to live in that. Okay, I don't, I don't ever wake up and wonder if I'm married. I don't ever wake up and wonder if I'm a Jesus follower. There's no, there's no loophole in this. I just know I've surrendered my life to him before, and I surrender again today. 
One more. In your talk on judgment, you specifically called out teachings that you did not agree with, such as those in hell or Hades being able to see those in heaven and thus having the comparison of heaven magnify their torment in hell. You also implied that Hades was simply life without God and not torment continued. How then do you explain the story of Lazarus in Luke 16? It seems to be pretty clearly have both of those in that situation. First of all, don't ever quote the Bible back at me, okay? Don't ever do that. I just expect that you will take my word for all of this and never check, check the facts, okay? We live, we live in an era of alternative facts, so please don't vet me, okay? Now, the story of Lazarus is really, really interesting. And, and here, I'm just going to tell you what I think and not show you what I think. So we can come back to this after I lay the next hell talk on you next week. Um, the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man is a parable. It is not the, the theology of hell. Jesus, you'd be shocked at how many of Jesus' parables sound exactly like the rabbinic parables of his day. Okay? The, he, Jesus is trading on Jewish tropes that were common in the day, and I don't think you can take much theology of the afterlife from this. What Jesus' point is, isn't what hell's like. Jesus' point is, is about the, the great reversal that is coming when judgment happens. The poor man finds himself at Abraham's bosom, which is a very Jewish phrase, by the way, and the rich man finds himself in Hades, which isn't hell, Hades is just the realm of the dead. So I just don't think you can extract a lot there, my personal opinion. Last one. Oh, good. All right. I'm glad this is, we're ending on a high note. By your reasoning, of course, light is so spiritual. A good argument can be made for Budweiser since it's the king of beers. Okay. <laughs> Let me be clear. There were false kings in Jesus' day. Okay. Herod was a king, but nobody... Nobody worshiped that king, all right? So there will always be imposters. All right, now, now that we got that taken care of, I want to introduce to you my friend Valerie. Valerie is a part of our Vox team. She serves on our ERT team. Valerie has courageously uh, decided to share a bit of her story today. So say hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Valerie. Um, I wanted to kind of like Quentin Tarantino it and like drop you off at the end, and kind of just ruin the ending for you and then bring you through the mess. Beautiful. All right. So I've come to realize um, throughout my life, which is, I know, probably been very short so far, but, I, <laughs> but I've realized now that um, I've always had this feeling of a need that I've been needing to be delivered. Like I need to be delivered from the things that happen in my life rather than believing that I already am. And so, jumping to the beginning, um, my life has been kind of a whirlwind of fear, anxiety, depression, um, and I grew up in the church uh, all my life, have always known about the Bible, read about the Bible, knew who Jesus was, knew what he did for me, and, um, but always had this kind of staggering thought, kind of like the question that you read about, um, just how do I know I'm saved? You know, how do I know? And so I think, you know, going through my life and going, of course, through middle school and high school and dealing with all those emotions and um, hormones that 
I just, I, I never could believe that, that just saying or just believing was just enough. And um, so that led to a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of questions, a lot of doubting. I mean, a lot of doubting. And um, so I struggled a lot, and I struggled with anxiety, as I said. My youngest, my, when I was really little, I, my anxiety was so bad that I believed that during a heads-up, seven-up game in my third grade class, my pencil was on my desk, put my head down, head comes up, my pencil's gone. I believed that I swallowed my pencil. Like, and I, I took that with me home, crying, like, it's in my throat, it's there, I know it is. And my mom's like, no, it's not. So, I mean, like, it was like these weird, odd, like, just things about fear and about dying. And, you know, my mom's always like, just give it to God, give it to God, give it to God. So I'm like, all right, so that's what I do. I give it to God, I lay it at his feet. I'm like, Lord, take this from me. And, you know, sometimes he delivers me, sometimes, you know, I don't, and I fall again. So fast forwarding, you know, through like the last seven years of my life, um, I meet my husband, and uh, we get pregnant, get married in that order, and coming from a Christian house, it was <laughs> shocking, like <laughs> pregnant on your wedding day, it was awesome. Um, and going through um, postpartum depression with my son and having to deal just with those emotions of being a new mom and um, just not feeling like I was uh, perfect at being a mother and that I should already know how to do everything and I was doing everything wrong. And, um, and so, I, you know, dealing with that and then trying again for another baby, going through a few miscarriages and rolling down that hill again of depression and, and substance abuse and feelings and thoughts of suicide. And um, again, never having told anybody um, because I was scared. I'm like, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like people don't, you know, Christians don't feel this way. Or at least the Christians I hang out with, you know, we don't, we don't openly talk about stuff like that. We don't talk about how hard life is and how, you know, you, you have thoughts of not being here on earth anymore because you can't do it. You can't hack it. And so dealing with that and, um, and then getting pregnant with my second child, and that was great. And having a wonderful birth with her and then not having any postpartum depression, which was amazing after that. And um, just finally realizing that, that there is a purpose, that there is something that I'm here for. And so I go through this journey of finding out that purpose. And it started with not just knowing, like eliminating knowing and, and studying and doing all these things and just focusing on believing and trust. And that was hard. It still is hard. Every day, I'm struggling with believing and trusting. And um, so I'd like to say it gets better, but, you know, it, it's just a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. And, but I'm so thankful that I live in a community and I'm part of a community here that I can express who I am, that I can be loved for who I am, and that we embody who we are in Christ, and I see that in everybody that I meet here and everybody on the team here. It's just, it's so beautiful to know that I am loved for who I am, just as Jesus loves me for who I am, and that it's okay to be in progress, 
and it's okay to not have it all figured out. And um, yeah. So we love those stories just because they speak uh, for so many of us. Wouldn't you agree? It is. It, sometimes it just is a daily slog. And um, do we think Jesus is worth it? Of course. Do we think following Jesus is hard? Mm-hmm. And there are days when it's harder than others. And so we think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to pray. And then uh, this is Izzy. If you've never met Izzy, Izzy is um, wonderful. She's going to lead us. Um, as always, we try to balance two things when we sing. We're, we don't just sing because we don't have anything else to do. We sing because these are declarations of allegiance. These are prayers put to music. This is the reorienting of our imaginations and our words around the truth of who God is. And so we think this is important stuff. We also realize that not everybody loves the hype of let's stand and clap and turn around and da 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 And so we give you great permission to sit. But we would love, if you're a Jesus follower, to engage, regardless of what your body's doing. Sometimes your body leads your engagement, and so if you want to stand, stand. Um, otherwise, um, you know, we do this uh, not just to fill space. This is something that we do that's incredibly important. So let me pray, and Izzy will take it from here. God, we bless you and we love you. We're so grateful that you don't give up on us. We're so grateful that the, the real answer to I don't know if I'm rescued, I don't know if I'm delivered, is about how beautiful and good you are and that you are relentless in your pursuit of us and that we give ourselves entirely too much credit in terms of our ability to run. And so, God, we want to be soaked again in the truth of, of who you are and what you've done. And to that end, God, come fill the space with the power of your Spirit and allow us to be renewed um, and to remember. We bless you and we love you. Amen. Is that a, is that a difference with the looks? The look that says, stay back. And the look that says, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. All right, we're running so late today, my brothers and sisters. But that is irrelevant, except for children's workers. Am I right? We're good. We're good. <laughs> So um, <laughs> uh, I want to remind you, so we've got a guest teacher in the house. Um, her name is Carrie Garcia, street name, Alex Scott, and she'll, you'll explain. She, um, she, is, uh, she is the guest of honor on our Vox podcast. It's going to be released later tonight, uh, tomorrow. She leads something called the Freedom Movement, which is incredible. Her story is gut-wrenching and amazing, and um, so we wanted to have all of that context out there so that you could check out her background, uh, but we just have been looking for a reason to have her come and share, and this was a date she had available, and, we, and so we said, let's go. Uh, I want to remind you, after she's done, that, is, that does not mean the service is over. We, we think the most important stuff happens after the teaching. That's where we go to the Eucharist and approach the table, and we take the bread and the cup together. Our gluten-free people join together around that table right there. We come and bring um, the things that are on our heart and the things that we want prayed for. And so we have these little boards where you write down your prayer request and you scroll it kind of up and stick it in one of those. And we've literally had dozens and dozens and dozens of these. Our prayer teams are exhausted. Uh, but, but we are so honored to do it. 
Uh, people practice the discipline of generosity. They're, they're, we have some of the most generous folks in Orange County sitting in these seats. And, and if, that's, if that's you, if that's something you're growing into, there are participation boxes around the room. And then if you'd like someone to pray for you now, um, at the end of the service, there'll be folks over kind of in that cubby behind the gluten-free area uh, to pray for you. Otherwise, you can write a prayer request and we'll be praying for you for out, throughout the week. But I'm done. This is Carrie. Say hello. Say hello. It's Carrie. She needs a music stand. I'm going to just grab it. No, no, you need you a music stand. You got it for me? For Good. Literally. That's what kind of no, church I'm them. in. No, Help me show out. Them. Show them what you need the stand for. For my notes. Yeah, show them the notes. <laughs> One page in tiny handwriting. You know why? Because they gave me 25 minutes. That's right. Don't give a speaker 25 minutes and tell me that I have to fill a page, two or three pages, because we'll be here all day, and I'll preach all day. No problem. Um, Fearless. Yeah. Can you, can, it's my turn. Man, stage hog. Hi, guys. First of all, I love preaching at churches. It's not something I get to do a lot. I get to do it some, but I get to do a lot of conferences and stuff, and conferences tend to run at nighttime or later in the day. So all y'all that are here at nine o'clock in the morning, I just like power props to you. I don't, I don't do mornings. People say when you get older, mornings get, e no, it's never easier. I hate it every time. But I'm here and I've been up since a really long time for a really long time this morning and I've had lots of caffeine and I got like 20 minutes. So we're gonna try to make this all happen. Thank you, it's the one, one woman that's awake. Um, <laughs> I want to give you a little bit of background about myself in 30 seconds or less. I'm one of seven, pastor's kid, oldest. I have these three brothers, and my three brothers are gigantic human beings. They are 6'2". Most of them, they're all, they'll all say they're 6'2", but there's one that's a little shorter, and he's like super buff this way because he's compensating for this way. Um, so my brothers are always trying to get me to go. They love scaring me, like pranking me and scaring me. And they just think it's the most hilarious thing. And they love trying to get me to go to the haunted houses. And I'm just, I don't like that stuff. I don't like being scared. I don't like haunted houses. And I know this may seem weird, but I'm like, the devil's up in this place and I'm not feeling that. And I just don't like any of it. And they're always like, they think it's so funny. So one time, this is just re very recently, they asked me to come over and they wanted to watch a movie. And I'm like, cool, a movie with my brothers. This is so fun. And you need to know something about me. I don't watch horror movies. I don't do that. I'm very extroverted, so I talk through every movie. People hate sitting next to me. I mean, I'm always like, why are you doing that? I'm crying. I'm like, I feel you. I just am very involved in the movie. And so you're shaking your head, like going, like pointing to your friend, like they're the talker. I get you and I feel you. When I go to watch a scary movie, the whole time I'm just like, oh no, oh God, Lord Jesus, right? So I'm screaming, freaking out. Well, they think it's going to be funny to have me watch this scary movie. So this is what happens, and the tables turn really quickly on them. My brothers being gigantic human beings, and everyone knows they're gigantic human beings. I mean, they're the guys that take the photo, and like, I don't know how they do it, but they always like try to make their neck a triangle. You know those guys? That's my brothers. So they're always like in every picture, and I'm like, you know, and they're super cool, and I'm not. So we go and we watch this movie and it's about, I don't know, this ventriloquist doll thing and there's a boy living in the walls and I don't even know, it's creepy and it's weird. It's so, so odd. But I am freaking out watching this movie. And it's not even that scary. It's not even like, I mean, it's the most oddest, weirdest movie, but people jump out. So I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, like, ah! like just screaming and screaming. And my brothers have to go like, 
people are going to think we're hurting you. Like, we're known in this neighborhood for our muscles. It's a thing we've been working on. People are going to think I'm hurting you. They have to go and shut the windows. And finally, they just turned it off. No longer was it fun anymore to scare me. I was embarrassing them. People were going to call the cops on us. This is the grid in which I look at life. And I'm not that fearful. Well, I didn't think I was that fearful. But coming to these things, I have realized I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like things that jump out and scare me. I don't like the unknown. I don't like any of that. I like control. I like to know my surroundings. I don't want a creepy clown busting out around the corner with a chainsaw that makes noises that has no thing. I still think it's going to cut me. And I'm not sweet about it. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm like Oakland. I'll like punch you in the neck. <laughs> like, that's the thing is when my brothers try to scare me, I just, they come around the corner and I'm like, Jesse! And there, and he's like, oh, Carrie. And they think it's so funny. They snap it. It's just awful. They boomerang me like 20 to like punch them. So it's this like weird punch thing. I looked through my, I was kind of like thinking out what I want to share with you in 25 minutes. And I was kind of just praying about, like, God, what do you want for Vox? What do you want for these people? What do you, ha what do you have to say? What do you have to say to them? And I was praying, and I was just really thinking. I was like, I just want to share with you kind of the one thing that I have learned that has kept me back from being who I'm supposed to be and called to be. And I feel like if I could just share with you that one thing, maybe just maybe you would link arms with me and we would just feel less alone in this whole thing called life. I look back kind of on the course of my life and, you know, being a pastor's kid and stuff, that looked really well and really good on the outside, but on the inside, we were really good at keeping secrets. We looked the part. You see, not only are my brothers buff, but my dad is too. Kind of like Mike. So, you know, big like Mike. Big guy. Really handsome. My mom's beautiful. We all had it put together. But the reality was, is on the inside, that was a show. Um, we did love each other, but it was really dysfunctional. My mom struggled with eating disorder and mental illness our whole life, and we kept that secret really tight and under wraps. And so for me, in my house and growing up, I had this need to be seen. Because when you were raised with someone who struggles to be able to love herself, she has very little capacity to love you and to take care of you. And my dad, who just so desperately wanted things to be okay, dove into ministry, and all I saw was when you perform and you're on stage, that's where you'll receive love and acceptance. And this played itself out for my life, in my life just really negatively. We got into drugs, and that's a whole story, and we don't have a big, long time. But I want to tell you about two times in my life where I experienced life-changing decision-making moments. See, I always prided myself as a kid that I was not fearful. In fact, I was the opposite of fearful. I did drugs, I slang drugs, sold drugs, dated a drug guy, you know, like lived that life. And I knew how to be tough. I knew how to take care of myself. No one would ever ignore me ever again. If I'm going to be ignored in my house, I'll never be ignored outside of my house. What I realized, though, is that it wasn't my anger fueling me. It was my fear my fear of being invisible, and my fear of not being worthy of love. I thought that if my own parents had a hard time at that time caring for me and loving me, how or why would anybody else? I didn't know that at the time. At the time, I was 16, and I just thought I wanted to have fun and do drugs. But people who do drugs don't love themselves. People who do drugs hurt and are fearful. I remember the time that I decided I wanted to get off drugs. You see, I had been under a bridge living there for seven days, you know, really fancy, and uh, was like, I, I need to get out of this. 
For me, the fear was, where am I going to go? I mean, clearly I've gone too far to go and ask God for help. I mean, where was he in all of that? Clearly, that was not an option. My family, and I had hurt so many people, my family and so many of my friends, and the friends that I had around me were drug addicts. They had no way to help me. In fact, they just wanted me to stay in the pit with them. They didn't want me to get better. And I remember sitting underneath the bridge and thinking, I have got to get out of here. Where am I going to go? And I thought of my dad. My dad, the big pastor who I always looked to as someone who would save me, but I knew I had hurt him. I mean, I had hurt his ministry. You know, everyone, he worked with drug addicts. How hilarious is that? People were always like, uh, your daughter's on drugs. He's like, I mean, she probably just does pot. <laughs> and they're like, I'm pretty sure no. Um, this was from a meth addict, so I was like, when I would go in the house, I'd see him and be like, hey, just put my head down. He's like, I, I have eyes on you. My dad just didn't want to believe it. I remember going to my dad. I, don't, I remember the day he, he asked me to pick him up and take him to the airport because he had a job interview. Why you would ask a meth addict to take you to the airport, I have no idea. But everyone in our house was dysfunction, so I guess I was the, the, best one, the best one to choose. I remember picking him up and taking him to uh, the airport. And I remember inside this feeling going, ask him now, ask him now. you got to say it. If you don't say something, I literally thought, you're not going to make it. This is not going to end well. And I remember taking my glasses off. And if you've been up for seven days, I mean, if you've been up for like more than 16 hours, let's be honest, we're, it's, like a, it's like a nightmare for us. We're just like, oh, man, i got to sleep. Seven days of not sleeping, you don't look like the cool zombies. You look like the gross zombies. And I, I remember seeing his face and him looking at me and being like, you just could see this little girl that he'd raised was in trouble. And I remember looking at him and saying, I'm really sorry for all I've done, but I think I'm going to die. And he just looked at me, and I was like waiting for it. You know, you're just like, just give it to me. Just tell me all the reasons why I'm bad, and I'm, I'm grounded forever. Even though I was 19, I'll be grounded. It's fine. And I was just waiting for it. You've hurt my family. You've hurt my ministry. You've hurt my testimony, blah, blah, blah. None of that. It was just, I love you. I'm never going to let you fall again. And I remember getting in the car and driving away and thinking, he has zero capacity to save me. But maybe he knows some people that will. And I knew in that moment, it probably wasn't him. It was probably, and there was like this little thing in my heart that was saying, hey, your dad loves you, but, but I love you more. And I didn't really understand the voice of God at that time. Like It was just really, really far away. But there was this little flicker of hope in me that maybe things are going to get better. And that's deep back in my past. I got off drugs, and after I got off drugs, things were going well, and I got married, and, um, and that was awesome. And we went straight into ministry because healthy people go into ministry. And so I went right into ministry. I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to serve together, and we're going to perform, and we're going to pretend like we live. I mean, we're going to act like we live. I mean, we're going to love Jesus. But the reality was is I didn't deal with why I did drugs in the first place. I never dealt with what I was really fearing. I didn't deal with my inside person. I just cleaned up my outside person. And the reality was I wasn't cleaned up at all. And I remember finding myself three years into my marriage hopeless and lost and angry and, to be honest with you, extremely fearful. Is this the life I have to live? Is this what I have to be in for the rest of my life? I can't fake it anymore. And then I did the thing that I thought I would never do. And I stepped outside of my marriage into the arms of somebody else. 
You see, when you don't know Jesus and you do bad things, it's okay. There's a lot of grace for that. When you know Jesus and you do bad things, oh, we're going to need some time. You're going to jump through some hoops. You need to do some lot, lots of prayers. There's a couple of Hail We'll just throw some Hail Marys in there just for you know, good measure. And I got to the point of my life, and this was like the crux of my life, everything was gone. My husband was gone. My friends were gone. The church was gone. Ministry was gone. And a lot of that stuff needed to go because it just needed to get sit with me. The problem was I wasn't dealing with the fear. I wasn't dealing with the core of what was really going on. And I sat in a lonely apartment and thought, I am just done. And I got in my car and I went to a stop sign and there was a bus coming and I go, this is it. And I had it all planned out. This will be it. And the fear and the lies that played in my mind were so real and so powerful. You think, that would never happen to me. I don't think that. Really? You know, it says in 1 John 4.18, and that'll be on the screen, but I have it here in my notes. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that's a great part of that, but I want you to hear this. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I have people all the time go, how do you even know if you're walking in fear? Bottom line is, there's a couple of things you can know. Do you constantly punish yourself? You see, when I discipline my daughter because she needs it the most, she's a little liar. I love her, but she lies a lot. I said, Roma, you can't lie. Like, she's like, why? I, you don't know. I'm like, because you're good. I don't know why. Just don't lie. Of course she can't lie because lie grows itself and becomes bondage for her. So I disciple her. I discipline her and teach her towards the future. I disciple her to train her. Like, you don't want to live in lies because it creates bondage for your life. But punishment always looks to the shame and the sin, the actual event, and it just sits on it, and there's no hope and there's no future in it. When you're living in fear, that tape that plays is, remember what you did? What would it look like if people really knew who you were? And that tape just keeps playing. And we think in our minds that it doesn't have power, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't get a hold of this and allow God's perfect love to enter into that punishment that is from the enemy, it will destroy you. There's two stories in the Bible. There's one of the prodigal son, which is not up in here, so don't even look for it, tech people. Uh, there's In Luke 15, there's the prodigal son. If you haven't heard it, you should go read it. Luke 15, it's a great story. Briefly, this kid gets his inheritance from his dad. Sweet, I'm going to go live the high life, man. I'm going to go party and do all this stuff. And he lives it out, runs out of money, becomes a total nuthead, just sitting all of a sudden he's with pigs in slop. And there's a moment in his life where he goes, hmm, maybe life is better back at my dad's house. I know exactly what he was feeling when he was sitting in the pig slop. I was living under a bridge. And in my mind, I thought, there's no way. And the conflict between the two Punishment just kept playing over me. You don't deserve a better life. You don't deserve the love that you want. I know what he was feeling. The end of the story is he's welcomed and accepted by his dad, which is ultimately the father in heaven. There's another story of David, King David. He loves Jesus, loves God, man man after God's own heart. He's on top of a roof, you know, looks over, oh, Bathsheba bathing. I, you know, poor David. <laughs> that's a rough go when you're seeing a lady bathing on the thing. I just feel like that's a rough go. But he sees her 
wants her, naturally. I don't know how that all worked out, but I'm sure glad I don't bathe on a roof, because that would be a scene. <laughs> but he was like, looking at her, seeing her, wants her, has her, gets her pregnant. Crap. His best friend Uriah is out literally defending his kingdom. Pulls Uriah back because he wants to save, you know, what we've got going on here because the fear is just too much. What are people going to think? This is going to ruin me. Hey, Uriah, I'm so glad what you're doing. Go sleep with your wife because you've done a good job, buddy. You know, maybe he'll get her pregnant. Oh, you got her pregnant? Congratulations. Covering up. Uriah, honorable, lays in front of King King David's house, laying there. You know what? I've got men on the front lines. I won't do it. This is a good man, Uriah. I'm not going to do it. David, crap. He goes, okay, Uriah, go back. And orchestrates his best friend's murder. You think fear doesn't have control in the decisions we make? Think again. How you doing? (laughs) When you know that you're walking in fear, you know that you, um, when you're walking in the fear that leads to punishment, you know that the enemy has control over your mind. You want to know another way that God, that the enemy works in your mind with fear? It says here in Psalms 32, and it's going to come up. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength was evaporated like water in the fervent heat of summer. We'll get to that in a minute. You ever been to that place where you're so sitting in secrets that you can barely breathe? And I know this is kind of heavy for 9 a.m., but you know, we got to get to it. We got a whole life to live and we got lots of stuff to do. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've been talking to people for 22 years and the story's the same. Everybody's walking around all chained up in fear and isolation and secrets. And Satan is having his way. He had his way in me. And if you aren't careful, he will have his way in you. We think at eight years old that I'm going to be. A ballerina, actually, I never thought I was going to be a ballerina because I was a little chubby and I just kind of knew that, was, that ship had sailed. <laughs> but I did think I was going to be on a stage with Oprah and would pretend to do that all the time. And, oh, Oprah, yes, the third book was quite difficult. You know, I mean, this was my dream. I never thought at eight years old that I was going to grow up and be a drug addict and have a broken marriage and a humiliated ministry. Oh, and to top it off, decide to take my life. I, I, that wasn't part of the plan. But when we let fear sit in our life, we start to waste away like the fervent heat of summer. You don't want to know if you're walking in fear that is immobilizing. You're carrying around secrets. You're punishing yourself and looking to the crime rather than looking to the redemption of the healer that brings life. You want to know if you're walking in fear, you become isolated and an island. You come into church here, hi, friend. Oh, hey, girl, looking good. Hey, George, good job today on the sound. And you are sitting in the seat, and nobody knows what you got going on. This is not living. You know, I had to make a decision that day when I was sitting at the stop sign. You see, I didn't feel like God could save me. But he spoke to my heart, and he said, Carrie, I've seen you and I know you. And if you trust me, I do have a plan for you. Then it was my turn. God is not a helicopter God. 
He's not going to come and just take you out. That's not how it works. You have to choose to turn the car around. You have to choose it. And then it's a lot of hard work. Being honest is hard. Getting real is hard. Moving on from your little island of isolation, it's hard. It's really hard. But I will tell you, when I turned the car around, there was this little seed of hope. Maybe, just maybe, what you said in your word is true. I'm going to give you a shot. And I did. And for two years, I sat in a therapist's office, <laughs> digging through my junk. And then I moved from a therapist's office to a table with other people who wanted to say this, me too. Powerful words, me too. There has to be an exchange. You have to exchange fear for love. You have to exchange it. You have to say, here it is, God. I am terrified that I'm not going to be good enough, that I'm not going to provide for my family, that I'm not going to be, that you're going to, I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to trust you with my body and my mind and my spirit. I'm going to trust you with that. So there has to be an exchange. And this is how it works. Here's my fear, and then he goes, good. Now here's my love. That's how it works. You can't say, let your love come on, but I want to keep my fear. Can't do it. As much as we try to do it, and we try to do it all the time, it doesn't work. That's why you're unhappy. You have to trade your secrets for truth. It is the truth that sets you free. We love that as Christians. We put it on a t-shirt, and we put, every Bible bookstore you go into, you're like, I get it. It's on a plaque. Your mom, like, calligraphies it and gives it to you for Christmas. Like, yes, mom, the truth sets me free. I got it. No, but the truth sets you free. And that's what's so amazing. And the hardest thing you'll ever do. Hi, how you doing today? You know, I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good today. You aren't? And then there's always that awkward person that's like, oh, okay, well, you might want to talk to Mike about that. <laughs> that's all right. That's okay. There's some people that just don't want to go there because they got their own fear. Hello. Like, you're making me feel like I have to be in touch with myself. I'm not really ready for that. That's all that means. That's okay. And then you go, bless you. Hoping the fear, hope you take care of that soon. There's got to be an exchange. There's got to be an exchange for secrets, for truth, fear, for love. And let me tell you about this. I don't care how introverted you are. Those are my favorite people, by the way. Best friends in the world are like extreme introverts. You got to balance this. You know what I'm saying? My husband, introvert. Could you imagine two extra? Could you imagine me and Mike? Come on. Who would ever hear anybody? We just be talking the whole time. <laughs> My husband, introverted, love him. He needs community. No one in this room goes, you know what, that is for, I, I think that's really good. But I'm, in, like, I'm an introvert, so I don't really need people. Really, good, that's good. Why? <laughs> Nobody gets off. Everybody in this room has to be with somebody. You want to know how change happens? It's not going to happen in these rows. It's part of it. I'm really encouraging you today, aren't I? <laughs> It's going to happen a little bit in these rows, but you know where a deep change is going to happen? Knee to knee. Looking someone in the eyes. Not fixing them. You don't have to have the answer. You can't fix them. Just saying, me too. Me too. There has to be an exchange. In Isaiah 41.10, the word of God says this, and I love this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. And my version that I wrote down in my notes, I love that he says, surely 
I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not playing a game with you. This isn't something where he's like, maybe, we'll see. We'll see how much fear you give. We'll see how many times you go to church. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll help you. No, no. Surely I will meet you there. You know, normally I like to be really funny, but I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to be funny. I had to get to the point. And you guys can really like me and think I'm really funny, and that's probably part of that, and I need to go to therapy probably for that. But at the end of the day, I got a story to tell you, and the story is this. If you are living in punishment and secrets and isolation, you are missing out on the life you were intended to live, straight up. And I know some of the dudes in here are like, oh, I don't fear anything. I'm good. I'm like, baloney. I've been working with men 22 years, and I'm married to one. And he's pretty strong. And I love my brothers, who have the biggest muscles I've ever seen in my life. And they're terrified little boys half the time. Sorry, brothers. <laughs> they sit with me because of the comparison that they feel and the responsibility that they feel and the weakness that they feel. And they go, if I exchange this, does that mean I'm weak? If I say, here, God, here's my fear, here's my isolation, here's my secrets, then everyone's going to know that I don't have it together. We already know. We already know you're a mess. More people know you're a mess than don't. You think everyone thinks you have it together? No. Why does this church say it's safe to belong? They could have put anything on their tagline. Come here. Mike's funny. Would have been a better one. Come here. We talk about beer. They could have put anything on that thing. But these guys got together, and they prayed, and they said, what do we want this place to be about? And they said, safe to belong. Why? Because everywhere out there is saying, to be honest with you, it's not safe to belong, and it's not safe to be real. That's why we scroll through our social media and see everybody with fake pictures and fake families and fake lives and fake weird food they're eating. We don't care. We don't care what you're eating. I know what you eat. You ate donuts, I was with you. Don't try to put your paleo crap on there. I don't want to see that. That's the reality. The reality is, is that they're not living in reality. What would it look like for you to go, today's the day. Today's the day where I do an exchange. You didn't know you were coming this morning for this. But God did. God knew you were going to be here. I don't even know if you know Jesus. You might have come here and been like, you know what? I just can't stand the rain, so I'm going to go into that church. Mm -hmm. Great. Glad you're here. And this whole thing might be just like way too much for you. And I just want you to know if you hear anything of what I say is that you have not gone too far for God's love. And there is a plan for you. And there is hope for you. And fear does not have to be the grid in which you look through life anymore. It just doesn't. And it will be a journey. And it could be hard. But when you step out and you turn the car around and you link arms with the person next to you in this room and you say, you know what? I told you I was fine earlier. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. And they go like this. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And together, somehow together, we rise up an army and change the world a bunch of people who are just tired of faking it and ready just to be real. I hope today, 
I hope today, my prayer is that today, through my little tiny short, very short, not enough time message, <laughs> that you would know and you would come here and say, all right, I'm scared to death. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give up? What do I need to get honest about? Maybe that's just you coming up and putting a prayer scroll on here and writing down, I really need prayer to have a little more bravery to exchange my fear for God's love. That's a great first step. That's a great first step. You being here today is a great first step. Don't let it be your last. Don't let it be your last step. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my right hand. As I close with this, and I, I, I hesitate to close because I don't want to close on a bummer note, but I think you just really need to hear the reality of this. My beautiful mom, who I love very much, lived 50 years sitting in the front row as a pastor's wife. And she believed lie after lie, punishment, secrets, and isolation she wore as a robe for 50 years. The reality is, is if you let fear determine your life, it will become the grid in which you look through life and it will take you to the point of death. You might not die physically, but if we're being honest, some of us sitting here feel like a shell of a person. We feel like our inside person cannot match our outside person and it's such a fake and it's such a burden to carry and we're just dying on the inside. My mom could not hear that. You see, the enemy is hell-bent on taking you out. Don't mistake it. Don't think he's kind of mean or kind of nagging. No, he wants you isolated and stuck, and if possible, he wants you taken out. And that's what happened to her. Nobody at eight thinks they're going to grow up and take their own life. Nobody does. But for my mom, she didn't believe that the story was for her. She couldn't believe that if she turned the car around, that this story would look different. I plead with you today, as your sister, as your friend, turn the car around. You're worth fighting for, and you're loved, and you are safe to belong. And the story is not for everyone else. The story is for you. Surely I will help you. Surely my right hand will guide you. This is why I stand here because I'm a living testimony of a really crappy, messy person <laughs> that turned the car around and I'm working out my freedom. I hope you would join me. I hope today would be the day that you end in fear and start walking in freedom. So I'm gonna pray over you and then we're gonna come up here and you're gonna write down some stuff because you got some stuff. Don't pretend like you don't, you do. It's all good. You're going to write some stuff. And then you're going to take some communion. And anybody can take communion. Because that's so weird when people are like, you got to have your life together. No, we'd be taking it then. You're not supposed to have your life together. That's the whole purpose of communion. Wackos. <laughs> Come down here. Take communion. But give yourself a minute. Just one minute. Don't look on your phone. Don't look around. Don't talk to your spouse. Or like, man, she was really weird. Don't do that. Do that after church. 
Give yourself a minute to come down here and just go, all right, I got some stuff. I don't care if you're 80 in this room. You got stuff. And God wants to do an exchange in you today. What do you need to exchange? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for 25 minutes. That went longer. It was longer than that. Yep, I just said that, Mike. <laughs> Lord, we thank you, God, that, um, that you're here today. We know you're here today. We cannot fix our lives, God. We cannot fix our marriages. We cannot fix our kids. We cannot fix our social standing. We can't fix our money problems. It's Jesus, and it'll always be Jesus. And until we exchange that for you, God, we are going to live in hopelessness. We might be able to survive, God, but we know that until we exchange this fully, there will not be a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, God, I pray for honesty today. I pray for realness today. I pray that today that it would be the day where spouses would look at each other and say, I'm not doing well in this marriage. We need help. That parents would look at their children and say, I am so sorry that I have put my expectations on you. That's not about you. That's about me. That they would look at themselves and say, I am not doing well. And Lord, I confess before you. And it says in Psalms 32 that when I confess before you, you took away the guilt and the shame. That's what only you can do, and we can't do it. All the therapy in the world, all the drugs in the world, all the going to church in the world cannot fix what is broken in our heart until we exchange that fear for your love. And so today, God, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would bring revival in these hearts, God, that you would bring truth upon these hearts, that they would know, God, without a shadow of a doubt, that even though they fear and even though they don't feel it, they will turn the car around. So God, I pray that today would be that day. I pray, God, that today would be the beginning of healing in whatever area of their life that is holding them back. And that they would start to sit knee to knee with fellow brothers and sisters, fellow friends, and say, I'm not doing okay. And we would say, me too. Lord, be with us today. Be blessed as we take communion and as we drink of your blood that was shed and we take of your body that was bruised for our sins, God, that we would remember fully that it's not condemnation that brings us to the cup. It is redemption that brings us to the cup. And we stand in that, God. Let it just flood over us today. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. No rush. Please feel free to stick around. I'm afraid there will be a revolt in the gyms, however, if we do not dismiss most of you. Um, thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Um, Yeah, there is something, um, there's something so powerful about being reminded of, what it, of the freedom that comes from walking in the truth. So uh, what I want to do is I just want you to stand up, if you would, right where you are. And again, please don't rush. I see some of you with tears in your eyes. I see some of you just wrestling with stuff. Please do not rush. Um, you're more than welcome just to sit and to stay. Uh, but... Um, I want to bless us as we go. I want to remind you that one of the ways we do the knee-to-knee thing is table fellowship. And um, couldn't happen at a better time for our community. And so go online and check that out if you would. Sign up uh, sometime this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you 
and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace in these days. Blessings to you, my brothers and my sisters. It is always such a joy to be with you. And uh, we'll continue next week on the journey, all right? Bye, my friends. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.